As a child, did you ever have a sibling that was a tattletale? Constantly telling on you, giving play-by-play to your parents about everything you were doing that was wrong? Maybe it wasn't you being told on, maybe you were the accuser. Either way, sometimes accusations are true, and sometimes accusations are false. But all the time, they seem to have power. It might be momentary. It may be a mental game. It could be crippling or utterly damning. We know that there is power in accusation, but we should also know that there is a greater power in an advocate. I'll say that again. We know that there is power in an accusation, but we should know that there is greater power in an advocate, the right advocate. You can have an advocate that is very poor, not, not a good... So if an advocate's a lawyer, you might have a very bad defense lawyer who can flutter over their paperwork and flop over their words, and you're going to jail. <laughs> but having a right advocate is greater power than an accusation. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119. And verse 153, Psalm 119, verse 153. Here we're going to see that there is greater power in an advocate. Psalm 119, verse 153 and 154. This is God's word. Let us hear it. David says, look on my affliction and deliver me. For I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Verse 153, you'll see there, he says, Look on my affliction. Consider, take note of. Would you notice my affliction? Realize it, see it, understand it? I need someone to realize the the trouble I'm in. Consider it, O God, look on it. The amazing thing we know to be true about God is that God is present everywhere and God is um, omniscient. He, he knows all things. And so he knows every single detail of David's affliction just as he knows every single detail of your affliction too. The amazing thing about God knowing about your affliction is he's not just trapped in a box and he's not just limited to his knowledge about your affliction God is sovereign over every piece of your affliction, but everything around your affliction, every escape from your affliction, everything. God is not just able to know about it, but he's able to do something about it. He is able and he is powerful and mighty to interact with your affliction. He's not limited to knowing or considering your affliction. He is mighty to deliver and able to rescue. David says, look on my affliction. And secondly, deliver me. Deliver me from my affliction. I need rescue. I need some sort of deliverance. Here in the context, obviously, it's David speaking. And and David, his affliction that he was... um, often grieved by and and experiencing during these times, especially in writing Psalm 119, was he was being falsely accused. He was being falsely accused by people saying, you do not love the Lord our God. You are far off 
from God. You are disobedient to God. David was being falsely accused, and because of that accusation, his life was in danger so often, as we know. So David cries out to God, says, look on my affliction, which he knows God already knows every detail of. And then he says, deliver me, rescue me. I need you to do this. So David's affliction was that he was being falsely accused. I wonder in your life, what are some of your afflictions? Because they come in many shapes and sizes. They come in varying degrees of pressure or pain. And our afflictions come for different lengths of season. But what we must always remember in our affliction is firstly that God is near, that he knows, that he he understands our affliction better than we do. He saw the beginning and he'll see the end. God knows and he is near in our affliction. So we can say to God, consider my affliction, look on my affliction. You know which one I'm talking about, God. And you know everything about it, God. And from it, I would love deliverance. I would love some sort of rescue, some sort of relief. All of us have afflictions we want some relief from. What is the end goal, though? Is it just to feel better? Is it just so that we can get out of our trouble? The end goal should be that we are more content. And sometimes it takes more affliction to be more content in the right things. More content in God. More content in, in, in heaven. More content in knowing Him. What are your afflictions? I wonder if you think about your afflictions at a deeper level. Rather than just surface level issues like health struggles, fear of what other people might think, there's there's some affliction, chronic pain or depression. What about our affliction of sin? I wonder if we think about it and its devastating effects on our lives. Here we see David in verse 154, then he starts by saying, plead my cause. Plead my cause, recognizing that there is a, a cause that is, is, is against us. We're being accused. Like David, who is facing false accusations from others, there are many times that you and I face accusations, whether it's from others or maybe it's from within. In Zechariah chapter 3, uh, there's, God's giving a vision to Zechariah, and, and in the vision is Joshua as a high priest. And Listen carefully to what he says. He says, Uh, Zechariah speaking, he says, Then he, God, showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before him, before the angel of the Lord. And Satan was standing at his right hand to accuse him. (laughs) Satan was standing right there, ready to accuse Joshua at every beat and everything he had done wrong. Satan was saying, see, I told you, that guy didn't keep the law. He didn't keep the letter perfectly. You know that he's not right. You know that there is something wrong with him. You know that there is filth on him. And it was true. It was true. Even in the vision in chapter 3 of Zechariah, uh, it goes on to say, uh, when, when Satan begins accusing Joshua, um, the Lord says, he, the Lord rebukes Satan. And he says, this is Joshua, my servant, who I've plucked out of the fire. And he needs to have his garments taken off because they're filthy. He says, I'm going to cleanse his iniquity. I'm going to clean him. I'm going to make him right. So yes, your accusations are actually true. He's not right. He's not worthy. He's not good enough. But I'm going to do something about it. That's the thing that happens to you and I daily. Whether you recognize it, know it or not, Satan is ready to accuse you of many things. 
In Revelation 12, at the end of our Bible, Revelation 12, verse 10, it says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. So until that day, he will be accusing you day and night and day and night, standing before the throne of God and say, look at their imperfections. Look at their sin. Look at how they've broken your law. Look at their thought life. Did you hear what they just said? Did you realize the bitterness? Did you see that anger? Satan is ready to accuse you day and night and day and night. And guess what? He's right. He's going to be right 99% of times. Yes, we know the devil is the father of all lies. So there's going to be some things he's going to try to uh, misrepresent. But you know as well as I do, if you know your own heart, you know that he's right quite often when he accuses us of not being pure before God. He's right. There's power in an accusation. But here's the thing. Satan might accuse us and other things might accuse us as well. Firstly, our, our own conscience. You might say to yourself constantly about how unworthy you are, how wicked you are, how sinful you are, how wrong you are. You might feel just an overwhelming sense of guilt day in and day out. You might feel absolutely insufficient every day. Your conscience accuses you. Satan assails you. The world seems to reproach you or providence seems to frown upon you. Things seem to be against you in this life and you think, why is all these accusations coming against me? There are power in those accusations. The problem comes is when these accusations forget the gospel. They forget the gospel. That no matter the accusation that might be against you, no matter the truth of it, even if you are guilty of the accusation, if you are guilt-ridden and just burdened down and enslaved by that, you've forgotten the gospel, that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8 chapter 1 says that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No condemnation. Why would that be? If you are absolutely guilty as I am, why would there be no more condemnation for me? Why would the accusations not be able to hold power over me? It's because of what God in Christ did. In Colossians chapter 2, it describes it to us where uh, it, it tells exactly what Jesus did for us at the cross and all that it accomplished for us. I want to read it for you so that uh, I'll get it word for word right. Uh, in Colossians chapter 2, there we go. Here's what it says. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authority and he put them to open shames by triumphing over them in him. He nailed it to the cross. When, when you stood condemned, when you come to the throne room of God and all you begin to list through and you can even come up with stuff that hasn't come up yet. And then Jesus, your advocate, can step in. Stands in and says, but it's forgiven. It's forgiven. There's deliverance. Not my sin in part, 
but the whole was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well with my soul. We're only able to sing that if we believe the gospel, which says all of my sin, not just in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross. And as Colossians said, that record of debt has been canceled. The legal demands, the accusations that stand against you on the record are canceled so that when you are accused by the enemy or you're accused by your own sinful flesh that wants to tell you you're not worthy, God will never listen to you. So don't bother praying. Christians are going to judge you, so don't bother going. That's what accusations do to you from within yourself, within your own uh, flesh. When you are accusing yourself and, and you know the wrong you've done, what do you want to do? You, just, you don't want to pray because you think you're too unworthy. You don't want to be with God's people. That's what happens is when the accuser wins. When you realize, yeah, that's true, but then you forget the gospel, which says it's canceled. Right? That's what happens. Uh, a commentator, William Plumer, says, when conscience accuses and Satan assails, and the world reproaches, and providence frowns, what can we do but betake ourselves to him who never forsakes the clients whom commit their cause to him? When he's referring to clients, he's appealing to the idea of the lawyer, the advocate, the one who is on our side, the one who is there to defend us. When David cries out here in verse 154, plead my cause, he's saying, be my lawyer. Be my advocate, stand on my behalf, make my defense. And here's the crazy thing. When he stands up to make your defense, he doesn't bring up the list of good things you've done and say, you know what, let's just get a character reference on this person. And we have, you know, we have their word that they're going to be a better person tomorrow. Let's just build that case in court. That's not what he does as your advocate. Rather than that, he says, look at me. Look at me. All that they are guilty of, and it's true, they're guilty. Put it on me. Put it on me so unfair. It's not right. But we have this advocate in the Lord Jesus Christ that is amazing. He's anticipated. In Micah 7 verse 9, it says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. So he admits his sin against God. He admits that, yes, he is guilty. And he says, and until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. He will plead my cause. Isaiah 37, 35 says, uh, God says, I will defend this city and save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant, David, and all who are coming under uh, David. And we know that that is pointing to Christ. I will defend them. Isaiah nineteen twenty says, it will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of the oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send a savior, d defender, and deliver them. Here you see David crying to the Lord because of his oppressors. Look on my affliction, deliver me. And then he says, plead my cause and redeem me. Rescue me. Make me new. Bring me back. Restore my relationship. Remember, this is the God who looks upon your affliction, who knows every bit of it. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows all the gritty details that you want to hide from everyone else. He knows it all. And this is the one who will be a savior, a defender, and a deliverer. It's amazing. In, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says this beautiful thing to us. 
my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous. If anyone does sin, if you are guilty, if the accusations are right, you have an advocate. You have one who will stand on your defense, but he's not just there to argue your character. The next verse tells us that he is the propitiation for our sins, that he stood in your place and he took all the condemnation that was due you upon himself to the last drop. It's Christ, our advocate. It's not, it's not fair, is it? He, it calls him the righteous, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If the accuser wanted to say anything he could about Jesus, he couldn't find anything wrong. So they had to make up lies, right? Even, even at the end of Jesus' earthly life, when they were putting him to death, they couldn't find anything wrong with him. So they, they're just telling lies. Couldn't make their stories match up because it wasn't true. They tried to accuse and tried to accuse, but they couldn't find anything. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And here he is, standing as your advocate. And, and instead of you, he says, punish me. Punish me and set them free. What a great advocate we have. If we look to him, if we trust in him, if we come into him, that's what we, Colossians 2 says, is like your debt is canceled, it's nailed to the cross. But is that you? Is that you? And if so, believe the gospel, live the gospel, embrace the gospel. Don't believe the accusations that, that says you're guilty and therefore God won't listen to you. Or you're guilty, therefore you're not worthy to go to church. Yes, they are true, but you preach the gospel back to the accusations from your own heart, from the enemy. Preach the gospel, say, yes, you're accusing me, but I have an advocate. The accusations are right, but my advocate is righteous. It's amazing to know we have such an advocate. Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 1.10 says, He delivered us from such a deadly pearl, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Do you believe that's true? That, that even though you may be uh, accused today and tomorrow and the next day, that he will deliver you and he will deliver you again and again and again. And he will stand to your defense, not because of you and what you have done or how great you've been or how faithful you've been, but because of him and what he said at the cross that it is finished. Do you believe in that? Have you trusted in that? If you have, then you can stand face to face with an accusation and say, yes, it's true. Yes, I'm filthy. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I'm unworthy. But I have an advocate. I have an advocate. Christ, the righteous. We know the power of an accusation, but do we know that there's a greater power in an advocate? The right advocate. If Christ is your advocate, then you can stand and sing his praises. If Christ is your advocate, you can face all of your accusations that come within or without and look him in the face and say, oh, you're so right, but you're, you don't have power over me anymore. 
there's no condemnation for me. Haven't you read the word? Isn't it written that there's no condemnation? And, and you know why there's no condemnation is because Christ has pardoned me. My, my record's actually gone. Christ dealt with it all because we have the right advocate. What a great truth to, to remember. What a great truth to set you free from the, the bondage of what your guilt does to you sometimes. I don't know about you, but to me sometimes my guilt traps me and I don't want to pray. I think I, I can't say anything. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not, I'm not holy enough to come into his presence. And so I'm lied to because I don't come by myself. I come with Christ. It says that in Christ, you can approach his throne with, with uh, confidence because of what he has done, because he stands on your behalf and says, he's mine or she's mine. Look at me. Look at my righteousness. It's great to have an advocate, especially when we face accusations that are true, isn't it? Let me pray and thank God for our advocate. Oh God, it is so not right that you, the holy God, the one who is perfect, who sets a law, you set boundaries, you tell us how to live rightly, and we disregard it. We disobey. We trespass. We, we just sin against you, and yet... Christ has come, regarded our helpless estate. He's taken our sin upon himself so that he would be condemned in our place. So that all the, the wrath and the judgment due our sin has been done away with. So that when the accuser comes, when the enemy comes and stands day, day in, night and day and accuses us, the gospel can be pointed to the love of God that he had for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. We can point to that and say, I know it's not fair. I know it's all by grace, but I'm saved from that. I'm saved from the power of sin and, and the main power of that being the guilt that I have to live with that cripples me, that causes me to try to uh, run from my, my church family, that causes me to try to uh, hide in prayer, that causes me to not want to be in fellowship with God because I think I'm so unworthy, the gospel flips that on its head and says, in Christ, we can approach boldly. God, we thank you for this truth. Pray that um, we would be people who uh, really realize that, that when we are feeling the weight, when we are feeling captive to our own guilt and the accuser, we would remember the gospel, remember the good news. We thank you for it. Pray that those who we know who do not yet embrace the good news, those who are still captives to their own sin, their own record of debt, we pray that you would deliver them even today for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.